Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, we have Jacob Rosenberg on the podcast today. He is our good friend. We've been sailing against him for a long time or sailing with him. Um, he's a, a kid about our age. He started Tajima Lenses, which is a, a lens replacement uh, company. So you have your frames and the lenses get scratched or broken, you can send them in and he will replace them with some of the, the most high quality lenses in the market. Yeah, Jacob's a good friend and uh, he just enjoys uh, doing similar things that we do in the ocean. So it's a fun <laughs> conversation. Enjoy. Yeah, beautifully said, Quinn. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Here, here is Jacob. <laughs> That's exciting. Getting yeah. bigger. Yeah. How have things been for you guys? Looks like you're getting some pretty sweet foiling action. Yeah. Too much. A lot of foiling, not much anything else. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad thing. No. Hopefully it can branch out a little bit though. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been pretty epic. So can't complain. Starting that the... offshore day looks pretty epic. <laughs> it was super epic. It was very... Um, it was really weird. Like it was super shifty and puffy and the waves weren't very big. Like the, so it was like, you had to, you had to get on the sets and, and then you had to like tack the wing to get onto the wave. I don't know. Nice. And definitely there's a certain angle where like you won't be going straight into the wind. And I think it'd be super good. Cause like every time there was a puff and I was on a wave, I'm like dragging the wing up wind. It's like, yeah, I saw it like around a few times and I was like, oh, I can relate to that. Like yeah. the wing, like getting in the way while you're just trying to chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was pretty high tide. It looked like you were almost having to deal with some backwash. No, it was low tide um, because like there's, I don't know why that where the backwash is coming from, but there's more rocks at low tide. So I think maybe that was the issue. But yeah, there's some backwash and lots of seaweed and I don't know. It was fun though. Cool. Yeah, yeah. looks pretty sweet. Yeah. How's your been, uh, Have you been out at uh, what's that spot under the Golden Gate called? Four Point. Yeah. Have you winged that? I saw some photos. Yeah. Because yeah, it's been, it's been super fun up here. So the first like week or two, there it wasn't breaking at Four Point, but on the ebb when it gets super windy, like the waves that are just naturally created, like right by the tower or one of the pillars, are, are super fun to play around in, and then. I think it was two days ago I went and four point was breaking and so I saw people like going in and surfing it on the wing and there were like 15 surfers inside and so I like ventured in there and it was pretty fun it's like it's super sweet it's super windy and you just mobbed into the wave and it's crazy how it wraps around the bridge but then once you get kind of deeper inside it gets super sketchy because the wind just swirls around in there and it's super like dead or fluky like randomly you're like wing is backwinding and you're like uh oh, this is kind of whack so i was trying to like figure out how to pump it back out into the solid breeze before going out but yeah i've seen a couple of videos of people riding it just seems like they get like the wave looks epic and because there's no wind it's the wing just chills behind you but then <laughs> if you fall you're like legit just swimming back out to the wind. yeah i i had to do that a couple of times like yeah i'll back out i'm like fell in the water right next to a surfer and i'm like all right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah it's weird the the waves that um are now like what you're looking for like i don't know every time you foil or do something new on the foil it's like you're looking for something completely different you know like you start surf foiling and you're looking for these like the worst waves possible that are <laughs> one foot and barely breaking and now you're winging and you're like where's good wind but then is protected but i don't know right. it's, just, it's just weird and that it's crazy like the I just want like bigger and bigger waves to get in on the wing. It's really, yeah, know, it's weird. It's crazy. Well, cause now you don't have to deal with like dropping in, like how you would be prone foiling and you just start up so you can like go on like a pretty mushy big wave seems like the perfect thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was out in Florence, which is up in Oregon. And I think it was like maybe a couple like double overhead sets, but it was so cold and like not, super super windy and i was like on the the prone so i still had to get up so it's like if i fall inside i'm just completely done so i was very timid but the do the two waves that i got that were pretty big were it was unreal how fun it is <laughs> yeah i feel like the progression is just gonna keep going so rapidly i know people are just getting better and doing able to like go out on bigger waves and do like crazier stuff yeah like even it, some just like the little airs are like sharper turns on the foil i feel like i haven't seen more recently like you didn't see that before but i feel like it's just going to keep becoming more and more of a thing for more people yeah as like actual professionals get into the sport <laughs> a bunch of guys that are like on it early like they're like oh doing this cool stuff and then the actual guy that knows what he's doing in the water is <laughs> they're just going to take over but yeah it's pretty sweet yeah and you've been um you've been kiting uh ocean beach now is that where you've been kiting yeah yeah so i've been going mixing it up between winging out at chrissy and in the bay and then whenever there's enough wind at ocean beach it's pretty sweet kiting in the waves over there because the waves are just pretty solid size <laughs> and uh you know varying wind conditions like yesterday it was like complete side shore from the south so i was like full downwind going on lefts, which I had never really had a wind direction like that, which is pretty sweet. Um, but usually it's more like a northwesterly. Uh, so it's kind of like a tight one for going left or a good downwind right. But that's, yeah, that I've sounds been sick. <laughs> Definitely a little cold though up there, huh? Compared to- Yeah, it's really, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the market for a hood at this point. <laughs> But I determined it's necessary and maybe a five four as we get into the winter, but we'll see. Oh geez. <laughs> yeah, I was in um Portugal and bought a hood because I had like some thin little wetsuit and the only way I could survive. I was like, do I buy a whole new wetsuit or I just buy a little hood insert? <laughs> yeah, right. That was the trick. It's pretty nice. Yeah, um, like the hood insert, I'm trying to decide right now between the hood insert versus getting a wetsuit with like the hood built in. I'm a huge fan of the hood insert because it takes like any wetsuit and there it adds another layer of neoprene on your body as well. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I'll have to think about it a little more and make my decision. <laughs> I need to pull the trigger sooner than later here, but I haven't been able to decide what I'm going to get. So I've just been holding off for now. All right. You'll have to let the, the podcast know what you come up with <laughs> when <laughs> this drops. <laughs> Everyone will be, huh? give some sort of review after. yeah yeah um yeah so you also have you kind of like got the hookup with cabrina now or how'd that kind of happen or is yeah, it just a so friend was, of a friend um yeah exactly it's just been connections and 
I was talking to Brendan Healy over there. Um, I think he is, uh, I want to say he's the sales manager for the Americas, but I was talking to him because he had reached out a while back about getting some new lenses and he was super stoked on his lenses and then saw some of the videos of uh, when I was learning how to wing out in Hood River and he finally just made an introduction to their team rep and was like, all right, it's time to get Jacob in as a little team writer. Um, and they're trying to grow their um, awareness and kind of positioning in SF. So when I told them I was moving up here, it made a lot of sense for them too. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome. I've been digging it. I just got their new uh, foil board and kind of carbon foil setup, which is definitely been an upgrade from what I had before and a pretty good time. And the wing's been pretty epic. So I'm definitely hooked on both of those elements and then trying to use their uh, surf kites whenever I can out at OB and can't complain. That's pretty solid. Use your little business to uh, to get the all the hookups you can, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good, yeah. good for both of us. Good uh, awareness and exposure, and hook everyone up, which has been fun. Nice. How is uh, how's Tajima going? What's the uh, what's on the rise for you guys right now? It's been good. Um, yeah, we're kind of going through a bit of a growth phase here, where we're moving on from kind of you know getting all of our systems in place. You know, we feel like we are proving out kind of the product market fit. We have demands and, you know, we're delighting customers. We're getting a lot of repeat customers, word of mouth customers, which are all really good signs for us. And so now we're kind of looking at how do we scale to that next level of, you know, looking at three or four times um, kind of our revenue and customer base next year. And definitely focusing on establishing our foothold and kind of the, communities where lens technology makes a difference. So, you know, we're trying to get into the sailing markets now, the fishing markets, two pretty obvious ones where lens technology makes a big difference. You know, reading the breeze, as we know, in sailing or when you're fishing, you know, being able to see below the water, especially for fly fishermen. We've had a lot of uh, good experience and good feedback from those customers so far. And we feel like those markets are growing. So I think looking into 2022, we're going to really try to take a bigger control of both of those markets and start expanding into other markets like stand up paddling, golf, you know, kind of just move from vertical to vertical in these different active lifestyle categories where people care about their lens technology, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I feel like for your, I mean, all of our lifestyles are like, so um, integrated with like just sunglasses in general. So it's kind of cool to like have your, your work surround your play a little bit, but have you, uh, have you thought of any like, any reach out to like kind of more niche like sports like kiting or foiling is there any sunglass future in that kind of world i mean i think it's something we're always kind of thinking about and trying to develop and i think as the the opportunities make themselves a bit more apparent and how to best kind of navigate them and start to tap into those markets we're definitely going to continue it um i'm definitely really enjoying the cabrina connection that we've got right now and i think certainly in this next coming year or two trying to do some more work with them um, and do partnership type stuff because i think the real beauty of our business and what we're finding is that you know for the most part we're brand agnostic so you can wear any brand of sunglass or glasses and you know we don't care we service anyone we're just going to give you a better lens than what you originally had 
And in the same vein, you know, it fits for any lifestyle category, you know, whether you're cycling, we have lenses that will, or will be niche and perfect for you or whether you're running or on the water. Um, I think kind of kite surfing and foiling can be a bit harder just because people don't really wear eyewear while they're um, doing those activities. But I mean, that's a perfect person who obviously cares about their um, eyes because they're out in the water all day right. and, and they're obviously spending time on the water and in these high glare environments where sunglasses make a difference. So on the one hand, it's not really perfect for when you're doing the activity, unless you're kind of more of a hardcore guy who will wear sunglasses while you're going, which we have had people um, who are customers who do that, but I don't think that's the norm. But in general, as a person and as part of their lifestyle, I think it makes a lot of sense for that type of customer. So it's definitely someone that we're going to keep targeting. Um, and it's yeah. easy to target a little bit since, you know, that is the lifestyle and the activities that we all kind of do. Yeah. I wonder like as kite racing kind of like gets in the Olympics and stuff and, and kind of like molding with even like winging, like molding with sailing more, there might be, I feel like people are going to start um, figuring out some sunglass solution, but are you guys have any thought of uh, kind of creating any, any frames or is that just kind of too outside the business plan to stick with the, the lenses? Yeah. You know, I think something we've been talking about since the beginning is really following the wants, needs and desires of the customer. Um, you know, going direct to consumer, it's really nice because you get to hear directly from your consumer and the way we've bootstrapped the company in the last 18 months has allowed us to be talking to that end consumer all the time, whether that's talking on our live chat or talking with them after they got their lenses back and hearing their feedback and thoughts. Um, it's been super helpful in guiding where we go with the business. And I think adding frames is definitely in our future. Um, we're really finding that we're getting really loyal customers developing because they've never had this type of clarity or vision from a lens before, you know, we're only offering the highest quality lenses out there. And so a lot of people didn't even know that they could have this type of clarity. And so once we get them replacing the lenses in their current frames that they already have, obviously they might go through one or two more lens cycles with that same frame, but eventually like everything, the frame will also wear out and it will be time for them to get a new frame at some point. And, you know, they want to come back to us and we have people who come back to us later and say, Hey, do you have any frames? Like there's no point in me going back to buy another pair of Maui gyms because I just want your lens anyway. So it's, I think it's a natural evolution for us. And we've also seen people who in kind of these active categories like sailing or fishing who get sold by the lens technology story, but don't have a frame that they necessarily love yet. And so that's a perfect customer that you know we might be losing at this time because we don't have a frame option for them. But the other way we're thinking about it is we, we want to do it outside the box a little bit. I don't think we want to be too direct um, and do it the same way that people have been doing it forever. Um, so things like collaborations, partnerships with other brands, um, you know, some sort of ability to complete kind of the sustainability and circular economy side of things when, you know, maybe someone gets a new frame and they have an old frame that is still in good enough condition, but they don't want anymore. You know, what if there was some way we could repurpose that frame for someone else? So these are all kind of things and elements that we're thinking about and developing. And I think we'll, we'll start to kind of put them out there in this coming year and definitely into 2023. Um, and again, you know, a lot of our mentality is listening to the customer and what the customer wants. And 
also just experimenting and iterating on a pretty rapid scale. You know, it's pretty easy being fully online and direct consumer to play with stuff and get immediate feedback and then, you know, keep experimenting and iterating based on the data and the feedback that we're receiving back. Yeah, that's, that's sick. And I, I can definitely vouch for how insane the lens quality is. Um, <laughs> Cause I think I, I texted you a while ago. I was like, I, I hate like shooting photos with when I'm wearing sunglasses because I'll like, it makes it look so good. And then you take your glasses off and try to take a photo and just, it looks so mediocre and you're like, okay, maybe I should, maybe you should start making lenses or um, ND filters for cameras. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, um, back to like, what was that? So I'm glad you're still liking the lenses you got. Yeah, I mean, they, they lasted forever. So it's, it's pretty sick. Um, but one, my question was like, what, like, where is your technology coming from that makes them that much better? Because there's a lot of people that don't even like understand sun, like polarized, uh, sunglasses, you know, like, like yeah. what is that? What's, I don't even know what the difference is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm more than happy to break it down. And, you know, I think that's an issue in our industry right now is, there's so much noise everywhere and so much marketing noise about, you know, everyone just says we're the best, you know, we have premium lenses, even when they're cheap plastic lenses out of China. And there's a real lack of understanding on the consumer side is what we're seeing about, you know, what the options are there out there and, you know, what the differences are in terms of the benefits of choosing a better lens or having better coatings. Um, so to break it down in our lens technology, you know, a little background. My dad was a key executive at Oakley, building Oakley back in the day after his sailing career. He basically brought the concept of athletes wearing polarized lenses on the field of play. And he was wondering why that wasn't more ubiquitous and more common. And so they were a real leader in developing polarized lenses for active sports. Um, they were working with polycarbonate, which for those of you that may not know, it's basically just a plastic lens. It's great for athletes because it's impact resistant, so it won't crack or shatter, but it's pretty, it's not very scratch resistant. So it scratches easy and it doesn't have great optics and it really doesn't marry well with polarization. And so as my dad was helping them kind of build out their lens, he realized, you know, there's a better way. And after telling them time and time again, you know, this product isn't working very well, they didn't like hearing it. And so he wanted to go do something better. And so he quit on the spot and went out there, did his research and found a Japanese lens maker who seemed to have all the qualities he was looking for. They were an independent family owned lens maker passed down from generation to generation. And they were really focused on only, you know, the best quality polarized lenses. And so he went to them with this concept of, you know, I want to build a lens that has the impact resistance, um, you know, and shatterproof capabilities of polycarbonate, but with the optical clarity, detail, and sharpness of glass. Because glass has great optics, but it's really heavy and it will shatter or crack. And like I said, polycarbonate has bad optics, but won't shatter or crack. And so he went in and said, hey, you know, there's got to be a better way. How can we do this? And they were thinking along the same lines. And so they co-created this new lens material that what we call Tajima urethane and it's what he built Canon with um, the SR91 lens and over the last 20 years since they created it it's just been evolving and iterating over time and 
it's in a really good place now, but the main differences are one it's so the material itself is where the difference mostly comes from. So it provides those optics and glass, but with really high scratch resistant five times more than polycarbonate and it won't shatter or crack. It's the lightest weight lens on the market. And one of the best, um, elements of this lens material is the polarizing film. So our Japanese lens maker is actually the only lens maker in the world that makes their own polarizing film in house. And so what that is, is it's a super thin layer of film and that holds all the polarizing properties in it. And then they basically have kind of a black box fabrication method of how they then put it all together into the final lens product, um, which is, you know, trade secrets there but it ends up that's it's the mix of the polarizing filter along with the next fabrication methods to put it all together that creates this unique material with those advantages I kind of outlined earlier. And then really the last element is the lens coating. So, you know, I think in prescription, people know that coatings make a difference, but not everyone knows on the polarized sunglass side that it makes a real difference too. And so our lenses come with, you know, anti-scratch coatings, anti-reflective coatings, hydrophobic and oleophobic coatings, which are basically you know, dust and water resistant so that they stay cleaner longer. They're easier to clean when they do get water or dust on them. Um, so it's all those elements that come together to make this superior product, better visual experience. Yeah, I mean, that sounds complicated, but it seems like you've got it figured out. But uh <laughs> Um, I'm sure you talk about Tajima all day, so we don't have to, to grind your, uh, the questions too much more, but, um, so you guys do like pretty much, you can send like any frame in and you can like put the lenses on it. But like, how does that work? Do you like just make like, like, uh, what do they call it? Um, I don't know. Do you make like molds of like pre like known kind of frames or do you like custom make like each lens to like the, the frame that's sent to you? Like, how does that work? Yeah, good question. So basically we get the lens blanks from our lens maker in Japan. And so those come in, you know, all the various colors that we have and different curves to accommodate for different lens shapes. And they basically come to us and lens blanks that are basically just think of like a little wafer of a lens. And then it's, so then you make your order for a pair of lenses. And so on our back end, we have a database of all the frames that we've ever done before. And every time that we do a frame, we trace the frame shape. And then that machine sends over that shape to another machine that is the one that takes that shape and cuts the lens blank to that frame shape. So if you have a frame that we've done before and you feel confident enough to do it yourself, we'll send you the lenses for your own installation and provide a video instructional guide for how to do it. Otherwise, you know, if you don't know what your frame style is or, you know, you'd rather have us do it or we don't have it in our system, then we'll email you a shipping label that you can use with your own box or we'll even ship you a box with a return shipping label inside to make it really hassle-free and you send it to us. We trace the frame, frame gets added to the database. Um, you know, we install the lenses for you and then ship them right back. So it's really just an ever-growing frame database um, that we have on our end. And, you know, they're kind of just the most modern, innovative um, technology and advancements that have happened in the industry that are allowing this to happen, which uh, yeah. is pretty cool. Nice. 
So pretty much like the more you do orders, like just the bigger your database gets. Like, exactly. Like weird, like weird frames coming in that you've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some pretty unique and custom ones that, you know, probably won't ever get listed because they're best to just have sent in anyway. And they're kind of one-off frames. And we think those are really cool. Um, especially we have some people who, you know, will find some 10 or $15 knockoff online. That's just some fashion frame they really like, and then outfit them with new lenses from us. And it's like, boom, you know, you have a custom pair of frames that you really like with brand new lenses as a complete package for, you know, 100, 115 bucks um, compared to, you know, a Maui gym or a higher quality sunglass that costs 200 to $300. Yeah. Um, are you guys pretty much just like word of mouth? Because I mean, all your sunglasses have whatever branding was on the sunglass before, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's just word of mouth, right? <laughs> yeah, so we definitely have a, a lot of word of mouth and kind of repeat customers. That's an element of our business that we were really happy about. And, you know, the interesting thing is, I'd say like 90%, maybe even more of the population doesn't even know that this is something they can do. So a big element for us is just getting that awareness out there of not just our business and our company, but that this service exists. Um, and so for us, you know, getting the word out there and PR and kind of in these active lifestyle categories is a big element for us. The other side of where we're acquiring a lot of customers is simply, we like to call it fishing where the fish are, which is people who do know that this exists and are actively searching for it online. You know, there's a surprising amount of people who are actively searching you know, prescription lens replacement or lenses for my frames on Google every day. And so for us, it's just about getting in front of that customer when they search for that and looking good enough to give them the confidence to go with the company that they haven't heard of before. But otherwise it's, it's a lot easier to acquire these customers from, you know, someone who's tried it before and has had a great experience and then is, you know, going to tell their friends and family. Yeah. What do you think like the number one sport you guys um, like service? Do you have like okay, an estimate on like uh just sailing due to the you know yeah it's easy for us to advertise there because we know kind of where to advertise and people yeah. to know about the lens technology already through canaan and uh you know we've definitely felt the word of mouth starting to spread out in the sailing community pretty strong um otherwise it's like a lot of fishing and we get a lot of golf naturally which is one that we haven't yeah. really yeah. advertised or pushed but naturally i always see like the i always see like baseball posts like on your instagram and stuff too <laughs> yeah like the, the, yeah the so baseball pro guys with uh, the dodgers and giants manager for uh kind of working with them and they both wear prescription and i've been buddies with my dad's for a while and known about the lens technology and got wind of what we were doing and wanted to get involved so we were pretty sick. stoked that bring them on board <laughs> yeah that's that's super sick um yeah and they had a big win yesterday huh wearing your glasses yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> David roberts and the dodgers it was a pretty tight one um, yeah it was super exciting when the dodgers and the giants were playing in their series last week and it was cool seeing both of them wearing their stuff and uh you know 
I, I was happy if either team won. I just wanted someone in our lenses to win. <laughs> oh, you didn't you didn't have a secret favorite? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Dodgers hometown. Yeah, that's um, fair. yeah so how did you get uh you get into business did you start this like straight out of school or yeah so good question i mean i've been obviously surrounded by eyewear my whole life and you know as i grew up my dad is building canaan so i've always been interested in kind of startup entrepreneurship you know building a company and then when i went to stanford there's a huge startup culture there um you know a lot of tech startups are built and incubated out of there. And so it was really cool to see all that. And that definitely, um, you know, inspired me on another level as well. And then my, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior year was when we really started to see the rise in a lot of these direct consumer companies that were fully e-commerce and started to really blow up. Like think like Casper, Allbirds, um, a lot of those types of companies. And so seeing those direct consumer companies start to crop up and being surrounded by a lot of, you know, entrepreneurship courses and opportunities really inspired me. And so once my dad sold Canaan, um, right before I went to college, the Japanese lens maker that he was working with came back to him and said, Hey, you know, we want to keep working with you. What are you thinking about doing next? And they ultimately decided, well, hey, what if we could partner up and what if my dad could help them distribute their lens technology that they created together to other brands? So he started selling that lens technology B2B and kind of controlling the distribution outside of Asia. And so after my sophomore year, you know, my dad comes to pick me up. We load all my stuff in the back of the truck and we make our drive down and we start talking about business. And you know, with all these ideas in my head and the direct consumer companies that I've been seeing, I kind of prompted the question of, hey, you know, why don't you also sell your lens technology direct consumer? You're selling it B2B already, but why are you constraining people to just the brands and frame styles that these select brands have? You know, something that was common that I heard growing up that always stuck with me was, people and peers and sailing kind of saying like, yeah, yeah, I know the Canon lens is better, but I just love this Ray-Ban aviator style or this Ray-Ban Clubmaster or, you know, this random knockoff style. I wish I could get that lens, but in this frame. And so it was all those elements that really sparked the idea for me of, you know, what if you could provide this superior lens technology to anyone, wherever they are for whatever frame they like best. And so we talked about it the whole rest of the ride home. And ultimately decided, like, all right, let's spend this summer and kind of build out a plan. So that's what we did. And I went back to school with the goal of incubating it at Stanford and kind of finding entrepreneurship resources to try to help me build it. And uh, so that's what I did. I went back and found this course called Launchpad. And this course is a Stanford course uh, created by these two kind of design thinking um, professors, Perry Clavon and Jeremy Utley. And so I, I found them, I went in the first week and, you know, the first thing they say is they round everyone up and they say, all right, how many of you have a business plan? Raise your hand. You know, we all raise our hands. They're like, all right, so I want you to rip it up and throw it away. <laughs> I started laughing. I'm like, this is what I spent the whole summer doing. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and the whole concept is, you know, 
we'd rather have you just experiment and fail fast. And we know that you're going to pivot and there's no use in trying to plan it all out right now. And it made a lot of sense to me. And so that's what I kept doing. And so I talked with them and I, they told me to come back the next week with a simple website. And I told them, I don't know how to build websites. And they said, well, go figure it out. You can use Squarespace. It's an easy builder. Just create a landing page and we're going to start doing experiments. And so I went home and next week I came to class with a basic website and we started running some experiments through some Facebook ads. And every week I just kept going back to them and working on it with them. And that's the website that we ended up using for like the first two years of business. Um, but we ended up slowly kind of just coming out of the gates that way where I was still in school. I was still in sailing full-time at Stanford. So I didn't have a lot of time to work on it, but it was kind of a side project. And then my senior year, you know, I was planning on graduating early. I'd finished all my units to finish after my winter quarter and just spend the spring fully focusing on trying to win a national championship for sailing and just working on Tashima full-time. And then that's when COVID hit and sailing was canceled. School all went online. I was already done. So I had really nothing left. So I graduated there and came home and realized, well, you know, everything is set up. We just need to flip the switch and start fully focusing on it full time. And we're kind of perfect for this COVID world and new economy that we're moving into because we are touchless. We are fully online. Doctor's offices are closed. Um, optical shops are closed. People still need to get outside and wear sunglasses. People still need to you know, get new prescription lenses because their eyes are still changing. Prescriptions are still changing. So we're kind of perfectly positioned for all this. And uh, it was pretty quick there that we decided to just go full-time and, and really send it. So that's when we started going full-time and we haven't really looked back since. Wow, that's, that's sick. And uh, yeah, the timing seems to work out really well. Um, what was kind of like the hardest uh, thing about kind of starting your business? Because Quinn and I are trying to start our little one as well. And you're definitely ahead of us. But um, I, don't, I don't know, there's a lot of weird little pitfalls you come across that you had no idea about. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'll start off by saying I think starting a business is the biggest roller coaster I've ever been on. Um, you know, the highs are super high and the lows can feel super low. Um, and so just kind of keeping an even keel through that is definitely um, necessary. I think some of the hardest parts were really just, you know, getting that initial adoption. You know, there's obviously going to be your early adopters and being able to tap into them is super important. But beyond that, like finding what resonates with people <clears throat> and getting, you know, the first 500 to 1,000 people on board is probably the hardest part, in my opinion. Um, it's really just about, for us, it was a lot of experimentation not being afraid to pivot and change our messaging based on what was we were hearing that was working and what we were hearing that wasn't working. Like talking to people who bought um, and understanding why they bought, what their motivations were, was super important and equally as important as talking to the people who contacted us but didn't decide to buy and understanding why they didn't. Um, and I think just using as much kind of data and feedback as you can from those early interested customers um, was really important in getting to that level of understanding what people wanted, how do we resonate with them, 
And how do we convince them to take the leap? Yeah, that's, I think it's pretty interesting because uh, in the like Olympic sailing campaigning world, everyone says the hardest part about Olympic campaign is just telling, starting to tell people that you're doing it, you know, yeah. like there's no real like, oh, this is the date that we start because obviously <laughs> if you launch something, you've put in what, a year, six months of, of work beforehand. Um, so you're, you're telling people that you've, you're doing it <laughs> a long time before uh, anyone actually sees what's, what's going on, which is cool. Totally. And I think you had I, a, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I can totally relate to that. Like spending a bunch of time figuring out all the logistics in the back end and how it was actually going to work and then saying, all right, we're going to launch this day and expecting like, all right, well, we put the website live, like orders are just going to start flooding in. Right. It's like, no, like maybe a few, but um, you know, you're going to have to keep working it every single day um, and grinding for each and every customer at the beginning, um, which is, you know, I think it's just a part of it. Yeah. It seems like you, never just like sit and be like, oh, it's built. Now I can just relax <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> watch, the, watch the orders come in. So uh, yeah, what else have you been up to besides that and winging? Any sailing in the future? Uh, a bit of sailing for sure. Um, yeah. Me and some of my Stanford buddies did the Hinman. Um, oh yeah. The US Team Race Championship. And that was super yeah. fun. Um, it was me, Rama, Jack, and then... Uh, some of all the crews at Stanford that we all sailed with. So it was a good kind of reunion. Yeah. That's a super fun event just to see, you know, a lot of college sailing alumni and uh, even some of our ex-coaches sailing and it just gets all that group together and a really fun regatta. So that was fun. Um, you know, I actually went back and practiced with the Stanford team last week because um, they're super open to having alumni come back. And I thought it'd be fun to, to go practice for a day with them. So I'm definitely interested in hoping we keep sailing and keep doing yeah. that stuff. Um, to be honest, yeah, at we this point, I'm really just loving the like kiting and winging stuff more than the idea of jumping on a big boat and doing some big boat event. Um, I think yeah, it's just definitely lying team racing, dingy stuff still and kiting and winging and foiling. Yeah. It's kind of a weird jump when you're like so immersed in like work and then, like doing fun stuff and then like after college sailing is like you either do like super professional stuff or it like feels kind of lame so that's kind of like a weird transition point for sailing but yeah I remember going up to we went up in the spring to practice with Stanford and you, they had like Nick sailing the whole time yeah uh, and like Jack and stuff and we we, we like team race practice against them and just got destroyed for like two days straight <laughs> Yeah, so. it's pretty fun. And now they've got like Augie and Griner who are coaching. And so it's, I bet it's awesome for them and the team this year being able to have them hop in the boat and just have like two of the greatest college sailors in the last. Yeah, I forgot. Year. I forgot Augie's up there now. Sail. <laughs> yeah, nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think we're kind of out of time here, Jacob. We could talk about sailing for forever now, <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. And if you guys haven't checked out Tajima lenses, definitely give them a follow or buy some lenses. <laughs> All right. We'll get chatting with you boys. Yep. Yeah. Good Even to catch that. up. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Ciao, yep. ciao. Sweet. Later, Jacob. Later. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.